Welcome to Storehouse Dallas. Amen. Thank you, Matthew. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Well, this is my first time uh, back up in a while. You know, we kind of took a break and felt like the Holy Spirit was telling us to um, pray and worship. And um, so, um, Happy New Year. Love what the Lord's going to do this year. Um, I do want to address the fact that most of you uh, know that we lost our daughter um, about three weeks ago. And um, just just kind of tell you from our perspective what we're thinking and and really what we're feeling. You know, um, when something like that happens, you just feel like uh, somebody shot a cannon through your heart, like a cannonball, and you got this gaping hole in your heart. But, you know, the word says that where we are weak, his strength is made perfect. So I can tell you that I have um, the perfection of God's strength happening in me every day, which is bringing glory to God. And I just rejoice in that. And so um, I am sad, but I'm also so excited that I get to be a testimony of God's strength in the earth. And I get to bring glory to God by rejoicing over him and everything that he's still doing through me. And um, and so, and I I believe I can speak for our whole family that I believe that the enemy got it wrong when he messed with our family. Because we are not a family to be messed with, and we are not a church to be messed with. And so he really messed with the wrong people. And so our daughter's life um, and her her life blood and her uh, beauty is a seed that is our seed. And, um, and we take ownership of that. And that seed went into the ground. And that seed is going to multiply, and it's going to reproduce. Amen. And it's going to reproduce a great harvest for the city, for this house, for our family. We've already seen just incredible harvest in our own family through Bliss's um, death. And so we we are giving glory to God over her life. And we are, as long as we have breath, as long as I have breath, I will worship God. And so, like I said, he kind of messed with the wrong people. And um, it was prophesied years ago when Bliss had her accident, and we were part of the prayer movement, so everybody knew. I mean, everybody was praying, Will Ford, uh, 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 Lou Engle. We had her up. We brought her up in front of the whole uh, one thing. There were 20,000 people. There were 100,000 people online, and so everybody was praying for her. She got brought up, and everybody was praying for her to be healed. And it was prophesied over her that when she got healed, that there would be an awakening. Well, don't you know that my daughter is healed? So I just say, let the awakening begin. Amen? So uh, with that, I just want to talk about 2020, and I want to tell you that that God has great things in store for us in 2020. And um, again, what the enemy meant for evil, God is turning it for good, and we are laying hold of the good. And that table has been set before us. And I don't know about you, but I plan on eating everything on that table this year. Uh, Last year, 
I don't know if you remember, but last year we just really talked about raising up an army of prayer warriors. And we really talked about reestablishing this house as a house of prayer and, and really um, um, reestablishing the foundation of prayer in this house because we had spent a whole year at Baruch Hashem the year before and that was a fun year. Um, and so we were building this place out. And so there was, you know, we had this little prayer room. We were still doing prayer, but it was just this little bitty prayer room over here in the, the place next door where we have our student center. And so we were just really, this past year, just really reestablishing a foundation of prayer in this house. But, you know, prayer is not God's end game. Prayer is a means to an end. Prayer is a means to an end. Prayer is unto something. It's unto something in us, and it's unto something for us, and it's unto something for a generation. And so I thank God that this year we had six live prayer sets a week. That's 12 hours of live prayer per week. That's 600 hours that we prayed this pr past year. Thank God. I mean, all of those prayers went in and went out. And I mean, they were just flying through the atmosphere. And the word of God was coming out of this house. And it was uh, doing what God had declared that it would do. So we've seen so many things happening. We've seen so much happen in the area of life. We've seen so many abortion clinics close. Hallelujah. We've seen a president that's taken a stand for life. We've seen uh, corrupt government officials cr uh, quit their jobs. Praise God. We've seen so many things that have, are evil in our government that are being uncovered. Why is that? It is because the saints are praying and declaring. And so I just thank God for that. But there's more, and I know there's more. God created the prayer movement not to create a subcultural people who just hide away in a prayer room. But God created a prayer movement to create a countercultural people who take the very presence and glory of God that they have filled themselves up with out into the world. I love what Reinhard Bonnke said. The church is not a, what did he say? The church is not a, hold on, I'll get it. My brain will catch up with my, my intentions. <clears throat> He said it's not a cruise liner. But the church where we all just gather together and we're all like, hey, we're having a party. Here we all are singing the worship songs. We're all kind of a club. And, but, the, but the church is supposed to be a lifeboat. And we are supposed to be out saving people, helping people, transforming the world that we live in. Amen. Reinhardt also said that the church is, is right now trying to run a race with one leg. He said they're either praying or they're into religious evangelism. He said, but we're created for prayer and power. He said the prayer leads to power, which fuels the gospel. 
He said that the prayer movement has power, which never gets used, and the prayerless evangelism has been without the Holy Spirit, which is like trying to talk somebody into a religious system. But I'm telling you, God is about to move on the prayer movement, and he's about to eject the prayer movement out of their seats. Not that they won't be praying, but they're going to be praying, and they're going to be walking in power. Amen? So in 2020, we're going to go after revival through healing or a healing revival. Does that sound good? So that means we get to pray. That means we get to prophesy. That means we get to heal the sick. Because that's what bliss getting healed that ignited a revival was all about. It was all about a healing revival. It was all about seeing God move and heal people. Do you know that the harvest is ripe? Do you know how I know that? Because I go to Walmart. That's where I shop. Praise God. Because that's where I can save money. But if you go to Walmart, you will see it looks like a hospital. I'm like, I've never seen so many sick people in all my life. So many people that need the carts to get around. They've got the canes. They've got the walkers. They are sick. That's how we know that the harvest is ripe because there's a whole generation out there that needs to be healed. You heal them, they get saved. You heal them, they get saved. Amen? So recently I had somebody contact me, um, actually in the last week, and they said, um, can you recommend to me uh, books on, on prayer? And I'm like, mm, yeah, why? And they said, because this person, this young girl who's a spiritual daughter of mine, she said, because when you pray, you have power. And when I pray, I don't have any power. And I said, yeah, I, I can. Because in the past three months, when she was severely sick, with a chronic sickness, with a high level, 9, 10 pain, that took her to the hospital several times, I prayed for her and she got healed. And then fast forward, her husband got sick with a severe virus that should have taken months to heal. And when I went over there and laid hands on him, I didn't even pray like any kind of cool prayer or anything. I just command healing to come. And two days later, he's healed. Okay. Now, I tell you that because um, you are looking at somebody who is not some kind of superstar or whatever. But I know my source, and I know how to pray, therefore, the power resides in me. So now when I pray, the power comes out. And so she made the same connection that the disciples made when they saw, they were like, okay, there's something different about you, Jesus. There's something different about you because you have power. 
Like when you pray for people, they get healed. When you over there praying at the wedding, all that water got turned into wine. You, you pray differently than the Pharisees pray, that pray in empty, religious, boastful, very wordy prayers, but yet nothing ever happens. And so they're not saying, teach me how to heal the sick. They're saying, teach us how you pray, because they saw that there was a connection between his prayer life and the power that he walked in. So there was a connection between healing and the harvest. There's a connection between prayer and healing. So as we've been establishing the prayer room, and a lot of you, if you'll come in here on in the afternoons or at night, you'll see me in here. And I'm just sitting in here hanging out with Jesus and loving Jesus. Now, I'm not in here going, oh, God, anoint me to pray. Anoint me to have the power. I'm just in here getting filled up. I'm just in here loving on Jesus, and he's loving on me. And through that comes an anointing. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 11, starting in verse 2, and give me a shout when you're there. Or it's on the screen. <laughs> All right. So here we've got John the Baptist who has been put in prison. And he's kind of looking at the gallows and he's thinking to himself, oh boy. Uh, why isn't, I'm, I, if I were him, I would be thinking, hey, why isn't Jesus, if Jesus is the chosen one, why isn't he over here getting me out of jail? Why isn't he breaking me out of jail? Why isn't something supernatural happening? Because this guy's got the power. So he asked his disciples to go and ask Jesus these question, this question. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. So Jesus answers them, and he said, Here is a witness that I am the Christ, is that there's a healing revival happening. There's a harvest happening because there's a healing revival happening. So go tell him that I am the Christ or the Christ. That's not his name. Jesus Christ. Jesus is his name. Christ is his title. Christ means the anointed one. Right? So I'm going to tell you what that means. The anointed one means the oily one. Okay? It means the one with oil. The one that has the oil, the one that has the oil in him and the one that has the oil on him. What did they do to the high priest when they anointed him for his position? They poured oil on him. They anointed him with oil that poured down his beard, right? On his head, onto his beard. 
So the word anoint means number one, furnishing Jesus with powers necessary for the administration of his messianic office. For the administration of his office. For the administration of his office. So the anointing, the the name Christ, he had the oil, the Holy Spirit, that enabled him to do the things that he needed to do. And the second definition is enduing Christians with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So you are anointed. You are the anointed one, little O. You are the anointed ones. You are Christ, men and women. Christ, men and women. You have the anointing in you and hopefully on you. And um, in order to see the works of the kingdom. Okay, so I'm going to show you a little experiment here. So my spiritual daughter that called me, and she was asking me these questions, I know her lifestyle. So I know she's a very busy person, all right? She doesn't have a lot of time. And because she doesn't have a lot of time, okay, Matthew, you put this on really tight, and I have one hand, so can you be my Vanna White? Thank you. All right, so she's got a very busy lifestyle. So her prayer looks like I'm going to catch prayer when I can. So I'm going to pray when I can pray. So she prays, and her glass gets filled up. And a lot of us who are on the run, and we don't have time for prayer, or we we make prayer a priority when we can do it, instead of making prayer the primary priority of our lives. And so we we go, okay, well, I'm going to pray a little bit more. I'm going to pray... 30 minutes a week. I'm going to pray three hours a week. And, I, and I'm showing you this because I've been doing this for 20 years. And I can tell you there is a direct proportion between how much time you pray and how much time you spend with the Lord. And that is directly in proportion to the measure of power that you walk in. And if you disagree with me, I'm sorry. But I can tell you that every single great general in the faith spend the primary, the most of their time in prayer. Heidi Baker prays six hours a day. And then the effectiveness of the rest of the time that she has is explosive. So what I found is that if you make prayer a priority and you tell your time what to do and you say, Lord, how much time do you want me to pray every week? And this is great for you because all of you have your new planners, 2020, they're empty That as you're prioritizing your life, prayer should be the very first priority. Okay, Lord, that should be the question, not how much am I going to exercise? You know, that can be number two. But what's my prayer life going to look like? How much time am I going to be praying and in the Word? Is, is, Is 20 hours, can I do it 20 hours a week? Can I do it 15 hours a week? Lord, what is it? How, how often? And then not just how often do you want me to pray? How many hours a week do you want me to pray? But how many, how, how are you going to break that up? 
Because I don't know about you, but if you have a very busy soul life, which most of you do because social media has stolen our peace, so therefore, if it's not doesn't come in three-minute increments, we get distracted. <clears throat> so what you have to do is you have to kind of give yourself a little more time. So the Lord usually takes me in three-hour increments. Or I can do six to eight hours in prayer and get lost, and it feels like 30 minutes. So it just depends. Everybody's different. Everybody has their different place. But I've been doing this a long time. So six hours in prayer for me is no big deal. But for you, you're like, oh, it may be hard. So you're like, okay, so the Lord started me out with three hours at a time. So three hours may be your thing or two hours may be your thing. And it might be hard in the beginning, but I'm telling you, it is worth it because what happens is that when you do it and you keep doing it and you keep doing it and you keep doing it, you keep doing it, you keep doing it and you keep doing it and you keep doing it and you keep doing it. What happens is that not only are you full of the anointing, but you're actually spilling on people. You see, there was a New Testament revival. Turn in your Bibles to Acts 19. <clears throat> and I want to talk to you about the seven things that are necessary or should be present in a New Testament revival. So you've got the Apostle Paul here, and he's coming into Ephesus, which, talk about a tough crowd. Those people were, um, it was a very, very wealthy city. You know, when you've got money, you don't need God, right? Because I can buy the things that I need in order to make my life good. Very similar to Dallas, Texas. So in Acts 19, um, here you've got Paul. Now, Paul, I want to tell you something about Paul. Paul has a lifestyle of prayer. So in the Bible, you hear about the hours of prayer or the times of prayer. They had the, the, hour, the third hour of prayer, the sixth hour of prayer, the ninth hour of prayer. And so part of the uh, Judaic or Jewish culture was that they would go to the synagogue several times during the day for prayer. <clears throat> and you can see that today in the Muslim culture or the Islamic culture where they have prayer five times a day. They've got their little rugs and they get out and they pray. Well, we should be outdoing them by far because our God is a real God. <laughs> Hello, and he talks back, and he, has, he gives us and anoints us for uh, power uh, and, and anoints our words so that we have power over um, the works of the devil. So the thing about that time of Jewish culture is they're not watching TV and they're not on their smartphones, so <clears throat> prayer is just part of, of how they live. So let's read in Acts 19 up to verse 20. So you guys just follow along with me. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul was having passed through the upper region, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Okay, stop there. So this is number one. So they're talking, they tell him, we've been saved 
into the baptism, we've been saved into the baptism of repentance, we believe, and that's the baptism that we have been saved with. And he, so he's talking about salvation, and he's saying, so, so there is an internal witness of the Holy Spirit. And so they have been filled with the Holy Spirit on the inside, but then Paul says this to them in verse 3. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Okay. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. Now he says Christ Jesus on the anointed one, right? When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues, and they prophesied. Okay, number two is the impartation. Okay, so New Testament revival, you're going to have a salvation, but you're also going to have an impartation of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so when the Holy Spirit, when you get baptized, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes and lives on the inside of you. But when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Now, the, the salvation, you have Holy Spirit in you, that's for you. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that's for everyone else. Okay, y'all with me? <clears throat> Now the men were about 12 in all, and he went into the synagogue and he spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Okay, so that's number three. In a revival, in a New Testament revival, there is going to be anointed preaching about the kingdom, about the kingdom and about the kingdom. Because the kingdom is the good news. It is the gospel of the kingdom, not the gospel of salvation. And so it's the good news that now, you guys, you guys, listen. The kingdom is at hand. And once you come in, you get to live in the kingdom. You get to access heaven to transform earth. That the power of God would live in you, and you would be made into his likeness, and then the power of God will come upon you and you will have power and authority over the works of darkness. Good news. Amen. But when some, but when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way, before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years. Two years. Let me tell you something. Revival has longevity. True revival that is transformative will transform and continue to transform. And it will have longevity and it will continue for years and years and years and years. So that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. All who were in Asia. That's a lot of people. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and evil spirits went out of them. So, 
verses 11 and 12, is number four. Power is present when there is a New Testament revival. So not only are they getting saved, they're getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, but they begin to walk in power so much so that even the clothing that Paul was wearing is healing people. Now, this also has happened in our day with John G. Lake. He was healing a bunch of people, and the line was long, and he was exhausted. And he's like, man, I've been doing this for 12, 13 hours. I got to take a break. I got to go. I got to go sleep. So he's, he's got a rock there. There's a boulder there. And he said, you come up and touch this rock, and you're going to be healed. And he prayed for the rock, and he said, you heal him. I'm not kidding you. So people came up, and they touched the rock, and they got healed. Come on. All of creation will groan and cry out, but the power to, to impart even went into handkerchiefs. This is not living. I mean, a handkerchief isn't alive, but the power of God was so uh, heavy that it touched other people as they touched it. Even their shadows were healing people. I love that. And we've actually seen that. We actually did that in this house. Like three years ago, we were like, okay, we're going to do this because it's going to be fun. And so we were like, okay, we're going to create a shadow, and we want you guys who are sick to pass through the shadow. And as they passed through the shadow, they got healed. I am testifying to the truth. They passed by, nobody laid hands on them. But I'm telling you, to those who believe, it will be. All right. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, yes, exorcists, took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirits answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Now, here's what I want to tell you. I can tell you that they, they didn't have blue. They didn't have blue in them. So, the holy, so these evil spirits are looking at them going, I don't see any blue. I know Paul. I know Peter. Because I can see Christ in them. You know, the demons know who you are. You walk in power, you're a fool. I'm telling you, they know who you are. I remember a great story of, of Jatana right over here and uh, um, um, Sharon. And they were, they were in Europe. And I don't remember where you were. Where were you? You were walking on the streets. And remember that warlock came up behind you. Do you remember that story? And you went into a cafe, you told me that story, and that he, he talked to you and he said, I saw the light on you and I knew I couldn't curse you because I'm going around and, and cursing Christians, but there's such a bright light on you, I knew I couldn't touch you. You see, here's the thing. He saw they were full. They were full. Can't touch them. They're full. Come on. I'm telling you, this person, not so much. 
This person needs to start getting serious because I'm telling you, we are headed into the end of days. We are headed into the end of days. If you ain't got this, it's not going to be pretty. When the shaking comes, you will not be able to stand. When your daughter dies, you will not be able to stand, but you will die from heartache. But I'm telling you, these kind of things should make us stronger because we know our God and we know the end of the story. Amen? All right. So, verse 17. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord was magnified. So, Fear or respect of God should be evident in a revival, a New Testament revival. When you start seeing God move in these miraculous ways, people should stand back and go, oh my gosh. I remember being in Honduras and, 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 and all of these people were getting saved and, and all of these people were getting healed and they were, all of these demons were coming flying out of them and they all started vomiting. I mean, it was a sight to behold. And thank goodness I wasn't wearing flip-flops on that day. <clears throat> but what happened is the people who were at the back of the room got struck with fear. They came running to the altar saying, what must we do to be saved? Because fear hit them at the power of God that was moving. Amen. Verse 18, and many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in, in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. And the seventh thing that should happen is growth. And so there should be great multiplication that comes when you begin to walk in this kind of power. So. Okay. Number one, salvations. Number two, impartation. Number three, teaching on the kingdom. Number four, power. Number five, fear or respect for God. Number six, deeper repentance. And number seven, growth in the church, for the church, for the kingdom. <clears throat> so healthy Christians reproduce. Amen. Healthy Christians reproduce. This is, what our, this is what our goal is. I did not start a house of prayer so we could all hang out in a house of prayer. I started a house of prayer because my heart burns for revival, and the Lord told me he would give me the city. That's why I started a house of prayer. I started a house of prayer because I knew that there would be living temples filled with the fire of God and that we would go out and influence a city and take a city for the Lord. Now, most of you know me. I am intent on this. I've given my life for it. My family has given their life for it. And many of you who have come in here and who have said yes to this, you have also given your life for it. Preaching the gospel must be done in signs and wonders followed by the word. When I was in Honduras and an all men's, what time is it? Oh, you guys good? Can I tell you this one testimony? So when I was in Honduras and I was, 
I was, we were just going to see someone at an all male maximum security prison. Um, I did not intend on preaching the gospel. I'm just visiting. I'm just going to hang out. I'm going to see somebody behind a glass or I'm going to get at a table where they bring them. You know how it goes in prison. You know, you guys have, if you have prison ministry or you've been there, but that's not what happened in Honduras. They dropped us in the middle of the um, whole jail without any um, security. And um, that was the day I unfortunately wore my skinny jeans with a tight t-shirt, not thinking anything, I'm going to see anyone or anything. And my bodyguard, they'd taken his gun. So there was no protection or whatever. <clears throat> so anyway, so the Lord told me, um, as all of these men are coming out of their cells and coming close to us and coming near to us, that he wanted me to stand up in front of all of them and preach the gospel. And I thought, well, I don't think that's a very good idea. This is not a good environment. It's not like it was planned. It's not like, oh, okay, we're going to have this person come on this day and they're going to preach the gospel and it's organized and I've got a stage or any of that. It was just like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Yeah, I'm going to die if I go out. I mean, they've got teardrops, stab scars, bullet holes, that kind of, they, they're not wearing clothes. They're not wearing shirts. It's not like an American prison where everybody has a uniform, you know? So anyway, I'm like, oh, man, it's 110 degrees, and this is not a good idea. So anyway, I get up. I'm obedient, terrified, but obedient. <clears throat> so I start preaching the gospel, and um, nothing, you know, nobody, does anybody want to give their life to the Lord after I preach the gospel? And it's crickets. Nobody's coming forward. Nobody, and I'm like, okay, that didn't work. And I hear the Holy Spirit laughing at me, like laughing at me. And I'm like, what is so funny? I'm terrified right now. And they're all looking at me. And I'm like, he said, ask them if there's anyone that needs to be healed. Like, oh, right, right. Like in the Bible. <laughs> right. Okay. Good idea, God. So I said, does anybody need healing? You know, is anybody sick in your body? Does anybody need healing? And I'm doing all of this through an interpreter. And finally, one man comes forward who is very sick, kidney, I don't know, something, but, you know, very terminally type sick. And so he comes forward, he gets healed immediately. You know, there's none of this, you know, you know, what number is it? That kind of thing. You know, it's bam, he gets healed. Then he gets saved, gives his life to the Lord. I baptize him in the Holy Spirit. He feels what, how do you say ants? Ormidas. Yeah, so he said that's what he felt like he had on the inside of his body when the Holy Spirit came on him. And they all said that, which was kind of weird, but anyway, whatever. So I was like, okay, well, turn around and testify and tell everybody what happened. So we did. And so then another person came forward, and then all of a sudden, all of these violent criminals who are, you know, looking at me like they want to, like, you know, I'm a guppy in a shark tank, <clears throat> they start lining up. And then it's just bam, 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 bam. For like an hour, they're getting healed, they're getting saved, and they're getting filled with the Holy Spirit. Right. Preaching the gospel has to be done in power so that they, the power of God comes upon them. Jesus testified to this. Tell John the Baptist that there is a healing revival going on and the harvest, therefore, is coming in. Prayer, power, harvest. Prayer, power, harvest. 
David Hogan said this, who's seen over 500 people raised from the dead. He goes, I don't fast and pray when I hear there's a dead person. Because then it's too late. It's not like, oh, hold on there. I'm going to go fast and pray for a couple of weeks, and I'll be right back. He said, I have a lifestyle of fasting and praying, so I am always ready in season and out when there's a dead body around. Amen? There is, you have to be ready when you go to Walmart to heal that person and spill on him or her so that you can say, this is Jesus. He loves you. He died on a cross for you. He wants you to come into his family, not so you can obey a bunch of rules, but so you can live in the kingdom and operate in the same power that I just prayed for you. You can do this. Do you want to do this? Do you want to have power over poverty? Do you want to have power over sin? Do you want to have power over slavery and being a slave? Do you want to experience freedom? Come on, man. We should be doing this everywhere we go. Amen? So 2020 is going to be a lot of fun. Right? And lastly... Just one more testimony. When I preached at Luke 18 last year, they invited me to come, and I was like one of like seven people that was preaching. John was there, and so I just preached a gospel message and talked about, you know, told testimonies and stories, and, and I just said, okay, who wants to receive an impartation? And, um, you know, they all came forward, and so I was like, okay. And as I was praying for them, uh, I was like, okay, well, Again, um, I don't, you know, I'm not like super anything. I'm just a girl who fell in love with a guy who likes to spend time with him. And so I'm praying for them. And as I'm going around and I'm praying for them, they're like, you know, five or six deep. Uh, I think there were like 200 of them in total. And so I prayed for the first person and like a whole section of people fell out. And I'm like, whoa. That's cool. And then go to the next person. And the next and I'm hardly touching them. It's just like bam, 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 bam. And so they're getting filled with the Holy Spirit, and an anointing is coming on them for the gospel, an anointing for dreams and visions, an anointing to begin to enter into the higher things, the better things, the deeper things, the wider things of God. So afterwards. Several of the students took me aside and they go, how are you doing what you're doing? And again, it all goes back to the question, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And I will tell you, I'm going to tell you a secret to how to pray. Are you ready? You ready? You need to write this down. You pray. That's how you pray. It's like telling a woman who just got married how to cook. How do you cook? Well, you cook. You just get in the kitchen. You start doing it. Sometimes you cook something good. Sometimes you don't cook something good. But bottom line is you get better at it as you, hopefully for all your husbands, you get better at it as you continue to do it. <clears throat> I, I laugh at, never mind, I'm not going to go there anyway. All I'm saying is it's good to be, as they say in the uh, Duck Dynasty, can she cook? Can she pray? Uh, amen.